Hey, Blake from Launch Notes here. Thanks so much for checking out the Launch Notes podcast. Today's podcast features a recording of a recent live Office Hours event we hosted in the Launch Awesome community. To join a future Office Hours session where you can ask us questions on anything you want, from building and launching products to Launch Notes best practices, join our free Launch Awesome Slack community. We host Office Hours every Friday and share an invite with everyone in the community. You'll find a link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it will come right up. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. I've got questions for both of you around product ops. Um, I'm curious what experience you have either working with people in product ops or um, even just speaking to people uh, that are mm -hmm. holding that title in that role. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Steve, do you remember, did we, I was trying to remember if anyone at Atlassian had this title, if we had people doing product ops. Did you ever work with anyone when you were a PM there? I think you're on mute. I've been, God, you guys have probably heard me say this. I've been plagued by every single video tool. I'm also on the wrong monitor over here. Like randomly muting me. Google me, this zoom i must be hitting like fucking i don't know m yeah and it's just i'm muting it and i'm an idiot or something but could be. every tool lately has been muting um yeah i mean now but when i think of product ops i think about it it's like really just opera operationalizing all the things that like pms need to like be enabled to like do their job faster um so it's like voice of the customer program like a data like a data team um things like that and i don't know that we had i don't even know that we had anyone when i was at lassian maybe some of the other like product teams did like for jira confluence had yeah. someone that was like the product ops role um mm -hmm. but yeah i think my experience more was interacting with like the voice of the customer team or like you know the yeah one of the things that was like a tent pole of product ops but not like a unified yeah. I don't have a lot of deep experience with product ops teams, but I feel like more and more like the last three years, I'm just encountering like uh, function plus ops roles everywhere. So like every, like the last couple companies I've been at, like this one, especially this one too, it's like the, you know, if we get a, if we get a, you know, a plus ops role person coming into sales calls, looking at our product, talking to us on demos, kicking the tires, mm -hmm. it's generally a better signal than almost anyone else. And like, that's a trend I feel like I've picked up on the last couple of years. Like these ops roles, rev, rev ops, sales ops, HR ops, people ops, mm -hmm. marketing ops, uh, is just kind of cropping up. I'm sure there's people who have taken deeper looks at that trend overall but it's just it's super interesting i'm i'd be curious the the drivers of it and kind of like where we're gonna go from here it sounds like uh part of what you're describing is that product ops are the roles that are ultimately deciding which uh mm -hmm. solutions the team is going to be using or whatever whatever frameworks that they are mm -hmm. employing I'm curious though, yeah. how do, are the product ops people also deciding which frameworks should be in use or are those product leaders 
at the same companies. And so is it sort of, what's the relationship yeah. between a product leader and a product ops? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Leader. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it varies from company to company a little bit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, sometimes I don't have a ton of like direct experience with it. So I would bet, um, you know, some of the time it's someone who's just going out and implementing um, decisions that other people have made. And, you know, other times it's like, oh, this was, this person like was our first, you know, was our first PM and has kind of like, is now the shepherd of the PMs and is like making the decisions about how the whole team is going to do things. Um, and like, what are the, what are like the tools, practices, frameworks that like we together as a team will use so that we can scale in a way that makes sense that, that like, we're all kind yeah, of doing it the same way so that, we, that yeah. you can reason about it better. Manage it. And I, I would say like the way tools are most SaaS, especially tools are built now, like you, you're going to be probably in a bad place if you decouple the two, like the picking of the tool with the frameworks with which you're working, like uh, you kind of have to think of them both together. Um, especially if it's, if it's getting into like, what are our workflows? What are our requirements? What are kind of cultures and, you know, patterns, behaviors of this team, you're going to want a tool that supports that or kind of supports where you want to go. So it would, it would seem to me, it'd be really hard to decouple that. Um, but it's super interesting around like, tool selection like you were saying teddy with with these ops functions you kind of think of you know the the past state was that you'd have central it which would sort of pick tools for everyone it's like we've got the whole orgs we're going to decide the software kind of very like tops down sort of enterprise mm -hmm. software 1.0 we're gonna we're gonna pick the tools for the entire org um the sort of bottoms up revolution and plg that we've been li living through the last few years uh, has obviously happened um, and not slowing down. <clears throat> and it's sort of the the whole empower the end user, let the individual teams and end users pick the tools that work for them. Um, that works for some teams and not for others, works for, works for some products and not for others. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this emergence of ops roles and things like product ops is partly sort of like a leveling off point with that where it's like, mm. okay, not every, you know, frontline employee and user can spend their time like evaluating software and picking the tools, but we're going to kind of bring what used to be the sort of very centralized function, at least closer to the actual teams that are doing the work. Yeah. So marketing has a marketing ops person picking a marketing tool for them. Product has a product ops person picking a product tools for them or at least kind of helping guide that decision. Um, and it's a really interesting place to get to. Um, I think it's, uh, I think there's a lot of potential with roles like that in this kind of era. Mm. Almost like it was a little bit of a swing back towards like it was. Yeah. Yeah. Ops yeah. Decide, or yeah. IT decides what you're going to use. And then the, the full swing the other direction was, yeah, your team can use Mixpanel and your team can use Amplitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but the growing pains around. Hey, we actually, we actually yeah. need to kind of together use a tool mm -hmm. that we can kind of yeah use to see yeah. the bigger picture, tie these things together. You guys can make the decision. It's almost like um, decentralizing IT into like uh, every team kind of gets their, you know, kind of almost gets their own sort of your own sort of like functional IT team, 
right? Mm -hmm. or, or IT person, or at least a person doing the kind of thinking, obviously, they're still, you know, in the right orgs, they're still central IT and all that. But like, I can see, you know, a company like us, like getting some of these ops functions well before we ever got, you know, uh, a kind of proper IT team, right? Like, we may be mm -hmm. far from that, but I could see mm -hmm. people, people ops, rev ops, roles like that show up even before IT. Mm -hmm. Jake, yeah. thanks for jumping in. Yeah, good to see you guys. We're chatting the product ops. Yeah, I don't know if you saw my notes. Um, I, I dropped them kind of late the other night, but from my call with um, But the woman I spoke with over there, she was on the PMM team, and she was in like a ops role and mm -hmm. she, she didn't define her role as pmm ops or product marketing ops but she said that's largely like the the um the charter she'd been given yeah. and because of that you know I, I credit a lot of that to why the call went so well because <laughs> i feel like people that are in ops roles just they think more strategically they have the pain that we're trying to solve and it's one of the reasons i'm so bullish on product ops but it was yet one more because, you know, we our product speaks to PMMs. We've sold to PMMs, but as we've talked about, they're not the best long-term champion or buyer for us. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's just that they don't feel the pain acutely enough and they don't sit kind of in the middle of stuff. Where she was sitting is like right in between PMM and all these different PMM teams that were trying to, trying to do different stuff. And she was like, I need, we got to start centralizing some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was another another strong indication for me that like the, anything surrounding the ops function for us is a, is a incredible sweet spot. Yeah. I just had this thought PMM sometimes will sit like um, under the marketing team and sometimes they'll sit under the product team. Yep. And sometimes we have PMMs that like <clears throat> that uses pretty well, get a ton of value, get it. I wonder if, um, if it tends to be PMMs that sit like more within the product org that, um, tend to adopt us better. Yeah. Or it could be the yeah. case. Ones that, yeah, like a PMM that's really just on the marketing team might really only be thinking about, you know, the marketing aspect of, of everything. Our tool really kind of does bridge bridge both of those gaps. And if you're if you're really only thinking about one of them, maybe that's kind of why we've had trouble selling some of those mm -hmm. people. I had um I had a, a, a good sort of observation from, I think it was like an old manager or something said this to me, but I think it's, it's true for almost all PMMs is most PMMs are going to either, you're either a PMM who gravitates toward the relationship with the product manager or, uh, or the sales side. Um, obviously great PMMs do both, but typically like you can kind of put a PMM into either camp, like do you lean more product and sort of see that as the core relationship that you're um, that you're maintaining in your role? Or do you lean more, more sales leader and see that as kind of the core relationship? And I, I think that's kind of, mm -hmm. that's a good way to sort of, and neither are wrong, right? Like there's outstanding PMMs in both camps, but I think that's a good way to sort of uh, classify PMMs. And I wouldn't be surprised even if they're not in the, uh, reporting up to the product org those ones that are a little more product oriented um i can see as being more of a kind of use case for us kind of type person yep hypothetical for you jake say teddy comes to you and tyler and is says 
we really need to bring on a product ops person. And I've interviewed someone, they're great. I want you to talk to them. What are, what are the kind of core things you would be looking for in that conversation, talking to a product ops candidate? At our current size and scale, like, like if sure. this is today? Yeah, sure. Um, one, uh, <laughs> might, might be kind of a weird, a weird thing to ask someone in a, in a customer interview, but I would say we've got three or four different roles that we really would love to put great people in. Like, tell me why, like, why should a product ops person be what we mm -hmm. hire first at our yeah. size and scale specifically? Like, so just... 20, we're 20 people. Like, what, what, yeah. what is that? What does a product ops person do at 20 people? How do you measure success? Yeah. Um, so you're kind of looking for like, do they have a grasp on the impact they can make? hundred percent. Yeah. And like, and, and partly it's, it'd be education for me. Cause again, I've never worked with the product ops team, but I would, I would probably say, how do you, how is a product ops person? How do you measure success? And how would you ask, how would you look to me to measure your success in the role? Cause I don't really know. <laughs> I know how to measure the success of a lot of roles. But I'm not a product ops person. Um, on that note, have any of you seen a product ops role at a company that has one or two PMs? Definitely not. Because that seems yeah. like it's wildly unnecessary mm -hmm. at that scale. Yeah. Right. I think it's a it's a mid-market and up thing for sure. What would you expect would be like the sort of tipping point? Is it number of PMs or would there be some other metric you'd look at as like when it makes sense to support that kind of role? It, it probably, I mean, I would say it's probably number of PMs, but also there's a tooling component. Like when you have, which I think you guys were talking about just when I hopped on, but like when you have mm -hmm. five or six PMs, I feel like at that point you start to have, there, there, there starts to occur this thing either naturally or by org design where you start to have different silos, different business units, different streams of work, like that are, that are become very, um, whether you want to or not siloed from one another. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, having five or six PMs working on one, even if it's one product, it's like someone's working on the APIs, someone's working on a, a brand new huge V2, someone's working on the backend stuff. Like they just start to be really separated from one another. And once you have that separation, from my understanding, what product ops really excels at is, is bringing some continuity to those processes, systems, tooling. And so once you get to a point where there's not only like five or six PMs, but then naturally like one of them starts using linear. <laughs> just because all their devs want to use linear and two are using Jira and one's over here still doing their stuff in spreadsheets. And it's like, okay, guys, we need someone that kind of comes in and says, what are we standardizing on? And in my view, a product ops person would facilitate that um, and work with the teams to figure out what is going to work best. And, and then, and then there's all these downstream implications of like, how do you do, you know, if, if you have six different teams working on six different initiatives, like, how does goaling work for success metrics in each of those? Right, I think that would be something a product ops person would probably be involved in. Um, you, Sorry, uh, you, you brought up something that's really interesting, and I'd love to dig in a little deeper. Sure. Uh, and that's you know you've got five PMs, and they're all using a different me mechanism or, or a different tool for their, uh, let's say their their uh, project management. So linear, Jira, spreadsheets, etc. Um, I see two sides to this coin. One is it seems a bit chaotic and crazy to have all of these different tools in place. But the other is those tools are 
perfectly matched for those teams. Yep. Sort of by definition, that's the tool they've found. That's that's why they're using it. It fits what their uh, what their scope is, um, and and what they need to do. So, on that side of it, what's the value of standardization? It's the age old question of like, where do I go as an executive to understand what the hell's going on? Yes, uh, Th that's uh, the thing that came to mind for me. It was like, I think the point at which leadership. Um, Stuff below them is fragmented so much that they can't get a holistic view of like what's going on, how things are performing. They can't make decisions about, you know, kind of the right way to move the business because everything below them is too fragmented for them to put together a cohesive view. I think that I think that's probably the the tipping point. But to, to your point, yeah, I agree with that. And to your point, Teddy, though, I also want to have each team working as efficiently as possible. So jamming a tool down their throat they're not happy with is maybe not the best thing, which would be, a, in my mind, a perfect opportunity to work with a product ops person or team to say, how do we solve this problem? I need for the board level stuff and for to make product strategy decisions and kind of larger conversations about the health and success of the business and the future of the business, I need some sort of uh, unified view of what's going on, how things are going, what's not going well, what's on track, what's hitting its numbers, what's not. Is that putting everyone in one tool or can they each use their own tool? If they're still using their own tool, it's you're the middleman or middlewoman that needs to help me figure out how I can still get the, the view I need. Um, and that's an interesting topic, right? I mean, that was Atlassian's whole whole growth model was like, don't don't sell to the entire company, make one team successful with one of our tools and the rest will take care of itself. And I, so I very much subscribe to that methodology in my heart of hearts that like teams should use the tools they want, but then you get to the classic breaking point of like, Hey guys, I've got 17 different roadmaps. You know, where can I, where can I see what the hell's actually going on? So it's that tension where I think a product ops person can, can help alleviate. Steve, you want to talk about cohorts courses? Yeah, I listened to, um, uh, what's her name? Wes, um... One more quick, one more quick thought on, on this before we switch gears. I, I can't remember who was on the call. I think it might've been Tyler, but we, we spoke to someone who, who described product ops as PMing the PM experience, mm -hmm. which is the most distinct way that I've heard it described and yeah. for a while. It's kind of like, what does that mean? But yeah. I think a lot of it is, you know, t Teddy, like a, a lot of the work you, you do across right now, you've got, you know, presumably three different sort of squads of engineers and sort of like, so at, at a micro level, you're, you're working with each of those teams on what are they doing? How does that work come together? Where should resources be spent? Mm -hmm. Like I see a product ops person is just doing that for PMs at scale to, to tie together all the work going on in their purview in the PM purview largely. Yeah. Or just thinking about, yeah, the amount of work, like you just did a big, big research project for, you know, you know, where we want to go strategically with the product, the amount of work that went into like lining up those interviews and all of that, I, I think is something that can be, yeah, shipped away. Yeah. And like, and, and my head always goes to, to dev tooling and project tracking probably just because old habits die hard, but there's, there's a lot of those decisions to be made for the PM. It's not just about Jira linear. It's like, yeah, how are we doing? How are we doing research? Making sure we're not triple tapping yeah. the same people, and what tools are 
we got stuff in dovetail stuff in gong stuff in in yeah. google docs like mm -hmm. it's just not efficient and there's probably 50 of those decisions that need to be made um i would say to sort of speaking of that it's like i i would think being technical wouldn't be a hard requirement for a role like that but a major different difference maker could be some aptitude in you know uh are you handy with like uh, Zapier, can you set up some integrations? Can you set up some workflows and automation? If we're doing this research project with interviews, like what can you do to sort of operationalize it and automate as much as possible? Um, and kind of that kind of person who's always hands-on and always looking for opportunities like that. Um, because you're going to be working in a lot of things that just the, the efficiency that you find in one little tweak can compound and scale across the whole org. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's also like the entire, the, the whole question of planning at scale, which is so tough to do at scale. Mm -hmm. You've got five different orgs and everyone's doing their own planning and this team's working in two week sprints and this team wants to do some big waterfall project and this team's doing some back end project. It's literally like, well, we're just, we know we need to get from here to there in the next 12 months. It's like, how do you, how does that, how does that look? How does that work? How do you plan when everyone's kind of working in a different cadence? Mm -hmm. Um, that may, may be right for them. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that Dan Chuparkoff thinks about. I know we're doing an AMA with him, but just getting the most out of each team, right? Team efficiency, but then turning team efficiency into org efficiency when teams are supposed to thrive as teams. So mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting one. I don't think anyone's really figured it out. And that's, I think that's probably why the product ops role has kind of popped up. Definitely, definitely. I can also see some product ops person watching this recording if we are do post it and going, what the hell? This guy has no idea what. Yeah, is. if if you're that if you're that person listening to this, uh, shoot us shoot us a note. Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come into the next come into the next one and correct us. So connect with me on LinkedIn, I'll, and exactly. I will allow me to we'll, chat for thirty minutes, and you can educate me on. We'll gladly, yeah, we'll gladly hear from you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a lifelong learner. I like to learn. Yeah. Steve, you want to talk about your uh, uh, your item here? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I was listening to Lenny Richitsi's po podcast, um, and he ha he had uh, I think her name is Wes Ko um, on. She's one of the co-founders of Maven. Just talking about co um, cohort classes, uh, and it really just kind of got for me the wheels spinning around. Feels like such a like such a good almost just like marketing opportunity to kind of run things like this um on a consistent basis um i feel like so much of content marketing right now is like you know we do a blog post every you know every week or so um in this and they're usually in the spirit of like teach you know teaching people something um and it just got me thinking like oh is a cohort style class like a cool way to to teach, you know, many people kind of at scale, but also have this, um, this other aspect of being able to create and foster among the people that are learning, like this sense of community, which would, which could, I think, impart th this additional sense of value that you, that you kind of ascribe to, um, who's, whoever's putting on the course. So mm -hmm. not, not only through launch notes, did I learn how to do X, Y, Z thing. But now I have this like community of people that I've like made connections with because of, because of that. And so there's this even 
you know, a lot of content marketing is in the service of honestly of like, um, you know, developing a sense of like trust and likability, like with the reader such that, you know, when they have your problem, you're, you're someone they think of to solve that problem. I'm wondering if, yeah, by do, by doing things in like a course style, you can get that like on steroids. Are these, uh, so are you thinking of these as like product related or more like kind of, uh, educational and non-product? Yeah. In my mind, they're like, they're like more educational. So it's yeah. like, you know, who's your ICP and like, let's run a course, you know, maybe it's like a one, I don't know. Yeah. It really depends on your strategy. Like if you sell mm -hmm. to exe like execs or something like a product management 101 course, it. It probably doesn't make sense for you. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, had yeah. thought about it not as like a here's a way to like learn our product, but like here's yeah. here's a thing in product management, or here's here's a big yeah. part of product management, and we're gonna do like a, a four week course. Yeah, you know, an hour like once a, a week. Like yeah. a reforge or on deck style. Yeah, probably yeah. like yeah, yeah. Probably mm. yeah. Yeah. Probably more lightweight, but only it, I mean it seems obviously, you know, the flip side of this is it seems like a ton of work. To do well. Oh, sure. And you yeah. can't just kind of like kind of bullshit some content together. Like when you're up in front of, you know, 20 people, there's kind of nowhere to you just hide behind some fluff. Like it's got to, it's got to deliver or it's not going to work, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think it's, I think it's super interesting. I, you guys more on the marketing side of stuff, Steve, or the product side? Like, like co cohorting once you have users in the product, or cohorting like with visitors on like the website? Pre, yeah, pre-user. Yeah, I had envisioned this as like pre-user. Yeah. Um, I think so product side could be super interesting too. Like, imagine like a cohort style onboarding experience. Yeah, there could be some kind of built-in community, and you know, a little mm -hmm. bit of like social. Um, accountability with the other people you're onboarding with. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we had like the, uh, the September 22 cohort right. of, of launch notes users, yeah. maybe the timing doesn't line up, but it's like, Hey, right. once a week, it's like a deep dive on here's yeah. how, like, here's how uh, it's all about designing your page. And it's yeah. like thinking about categories here. Let me help you out with like, here's how to think about logos yeah we got our designer here that can help you troubleshoot some stuff and i yeah i there could be kind of a hybrid experience with that because i think marketing teams are good at thinking about one to many experiences sort of on you know on this side on the sort of pre-revenue side of the product pre-sign up or whatever like we do it for example with our um with our product demo webinars like several people can come in Adam or Blake or someone will will give a demo and sort of take questions as a group. Um, even if that person does then go and have like a kind of one-on-one, -on -one, you know, a one-to-one -one traditional sort of sales relationship and goes through, you know, some, some custom onboarding to maybe layer something on top of that or after that that could be like, Hey, like we've got, you know, we kind of set you up with the bit. Michael set you up with the basics. You know, you've, you've got, you've got Blake and Michael that have kind of gotten stuff figured out for you. You're mm -hmm. a little, you're a little bit up and running now feeling pretty good. We have like a power user, you know, 
power hour that we run once a month. And mm-hmm. anyone who signed up in the last month can jump in. And mm-hmm. there might be a couple people there, but we kind of, we take questions and we go through and we're going to do some sort of advanced functionality tips and yeah. tricks. Right. And that might not be something we'd, you know, have the scale or economics to offer one-to-one, but as a sort of group experience, like bigger companies get great at this once they have like great big conferences and user user conferences and events and stuff like that. But to sort of think like, is there a smaller sort of digital experience that you can offer to users that's, hey, like this is a corner of our product you might not know very well. And we, we've got this special content uh, for, you know, for folks who want to go deeper and you're, you're kind of part of this cohort or part of this class. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. There's a ton of different ways to do it. I think Mm -hmm. it's really cool. Yeah. We should, we should definitely experiment with it. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. let's get, let's get Adam in here. Yeah. It kind of raises the question like who, yeah. Who would something like that fall under probably like success? Yeah, I think there's a Michael thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity, like the smart, you know, people who are doing success well are kind of probably thinking three steps ahead of whatever I'm rambling about right now. Right. (laughs) You know, but I think, yeah, people, people who are smart at doing customer success are like making that an experience, which is great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of SaaS companies are getting into a spot where they have attractively priced products. They have customers coming on board, maybe, you know, a couple seats that could expand into some big maturity and revenue in the future. But at the point of entry there, um, the revenue impact of that one customer is pretty small. So it doesn't, it's hard to justify an extremely robust, you know, white glove onboarding experience for that one customer. But if there's ways to kind of one-to-many that with groups or asynchronous content or stuff like that, and mm-hmm. to sort of kind of capture the capture the experience you'd get having like a traditional CSM who could be at your beck and call, but for, you know, maybe a SaaS customer that's only paying you $300 a year right now. Yeah, it's interesting. It's got the wheels turning. I want to figure out like what, yeah, what are the, what are the, mean, what are the meaningful ways to slice? I mean, that's the key to it, right? Like what are the meaningful ways to slice and dice? Mm-hmm. Whole, like makes sense. Um, like, <laughs> what does she think about cohorts? Why do you have your headphones on? What up? Can you say hi? Hi. All right, go hey. Hi. Hi. Mm-hmm. yeah very funny um and like i was thinking about i was just trying to think about if i joined a joined a product sign up for a new product like if i get an email it's like hey you're a part of this cohort like what would that what i want that to be that would that would make me think oh cool um and then also what medium because i mean there's, there's there's part of it that's just us being able to slice and dice from the product side and provide a better experience but i also think it could be cool to give everyone in a particular cohort like a place to meet and gather and like mingle i don't know ask questions to one another and i feel like no one needs another slack community or another another icon in their slack bar at this point but um i don't know it's interesting i think it's a really underrated opportunity 
just the whole idea around making like onboarding outstanding and making it like an experience or something special, especially an opportunity for like top of funnel for referrals for branding, like you kind of tip typically think of that as like, okay, that's sort of post sign up. That's often this sort of CSM support worlds. That's not, you don't really think of it as something you can leverage for like marketing or growth, but like, um, look at, uh, you know, like superhuman's a great example, like how much buzz they got. Yeah. Their product's great, but like specifically around like the onboarding experience that they offered. Like I saw so many, you know, tweets, recommendations, uh just so much like content and conversation around superhuman especially because of like the kind of high touch very bespoke onboarding that they offered and kind of treating that as like a wow factor um but yeah very 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 cool kind of underrated opportunity for getting you know getting people talking about your your product and your brand I feel like it has this interesting, <clears throat> this interesting opportunity that is just a theory I have. I don't know if this is actually true, but I feel like sometimes people are hesitant to um, do like one-on-one -on -one things, um, but they are, but they can be more amenable to coming to a thing where they know that they can just kind of like fade into the background if they want. Like it's a hey, yeah. here's your cohort. It's you and twenty people, and it's like. You can sh you can show up and feel that like um, feel that one on one connection with people a little bit, or even in just like parts of it if you're interested. But you can also you always have the safety of like I'm just gonna go on mute and like turn my camera off for a little bit because I'm like I'm kind of I'm eating yeah. while we're doing this. So yeah, <clears throat> What's you, can't really, you can't really do that if it's like a you know I'm getting yeah. a demo and you don't get any of the personal connection if it's just. Hey, you're getting drip emails of the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. What's the best onboarding experience either of you have had? The superhuman one actually was pretty cool. Um, just being, especially for them because it's so like keyboard driven. Like it's nice to be like, wait, what was that again? And they can, you know, give you a quick hint. It's like you get like live feedback of those things. Um, let me, Jake. Do you have anything that come to mind? Let me like. It's been a while since I've had a since I've had an onboarding experience like really blew me away. Um, I've seen because uh, we're trying a Voma right now for call recording. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they they did a pretty pretty great job with it. They have like a a persistent section in the left the left hand nav that's like your setup checklist. So it's not like it's, it's not in your face, but it has like a little blinking icon. And there's only like there's only like five things. It's not it's not extensive, but it's like these are the five things we need you to do to, to really get this thing up and going. Um, it just guides you there very nicely. And it's all one click stuff. Um, so I, I really thought that was good. And then, you know, something that we're always thinking about with with our own onboarding experience is like how often to to reach reach people with whatever message you want even if it's just value driven. Mm -hmm. I signed up for that. I think that trial like two weeks ago and I've gotten something every day and it hasn't annoyed me. Like it's been, it's been all been good stuff. It's, it's a, I, I can tell it's an automated email, but it's coming from the CEO and every day it's just like, here's something else you should try or here's something else you can do, or here's another integration that people love. Um, mm -hmm. 
and it was a good, it was a good reminder to me that like, if you're providing value, you know, the, the cadence doesn't really matter. It's like, I've now gotten something pretty much every day for two weeks and I open every single one of them. So again, I wouldn't say it's like this whole thing's blew me out of the water, but I think they've done a nice job. Yeah. Very cool. The, yeah. Uh, the things are like a principle that comes to mind um, is like a, it's like a visual, you know, kind of build it as you go style onboarding. So it's like, um, you know, if it's a, a thing where you like set up a page or like have a, I don't know, customize this tool, it's like the onboarding like guides you through and you like see your, you know, your thing, whatever the product is like updating in real time. Um, I always love stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a good, uh, you tend to think as like expansion or cross sell or upsell opportunities is like, Oh, we got to wait. Like we can't, you know, we can't hit people with that too early because they're, you know, like you have this like abstract idea in your head that it's like, and in six months they'll be able to, we'll be able to sell them this. And then six months after that, we'll be able to upsell them to this. And then they'll add two more seats and this and that. Um, but often it's like, when people are first getting in is kind of like you've got them at kind of like peak excitement, peak enthusiasm, peak attention. They just went through the process to bring you on. They just, you know, made the case to their department or whatever. They just got, you know, got the meeting and got all the stakeholders aligned and got the budget and got the contracts through and everything. And they're setting it up. And it's like, this is kind of when folks are like the most excited about your product and your experience. So like, what better time to tell them about the other stuff that you have going on? Like, Hey, like as you're getting into this, like you can also do this and this, and then you can do this and this and this. And, and when you're ready, it's like harness that moment for, you know, for more, uh, for more conversation around cross sell, upsell, um, expansion, you know, integrations, different things your product can do. That's probably like the most potent moment you could have. I, um, I like to, uh, kind of, I don't know. I, I like, it's weird, but I take like, I try to take like inspiration from things outside of software and SaaS. And this is kind of super random, but I bought a new phone case. I unboxed a new phone case yesterday. My last phone case sucked. This brand is called smartish and they had a really good unboxing experience. There was really good, like copy and content and design inside the box you could tell they like put like thought and care into that and yep. it wasn't just hey we got your 22 dollars or whatever so here's a box here's your thing whatever so it arrived like the packaging the copy the branding was really cool outside the package inside there's cool cute little like cards and designs and slices of copy and stuff and it was also littered with like QR codes for upsells like, oh, you want a screen protector? Like hit this QR code and you're like a click away from a screen protector or like, oh, you want to, you know, um, you want like an AirPods case or, an, you know, whatever else stuff they sold. They had little like QR codes and illustrations of their other products. And it's like, awesome. Like I'm in like peak delight moment about I'm most excited about this product right now. I'm literally unboxing it paid for it i'm pumped about it it looks great it looks the best it's going to like don't put my phone case in front of me 13 months from now and be like how do you feel about this like 
whatever. It's my phone. You know, it's my phone case. Like I'll literally never be as excited about it as I am day, day one with it. So I just thought it was, I thought it was cool. And I took some inspiration from that where it's like, why do we arbitrarily think like they'll do an expansion in 12 months or once some product metrics hit, like they're pumped about you right now, day one, like tell them what else you do. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you feel like it's important to wait for like the initial thing to close such that like the additional like devil's advocate, you know, one fear of introducing those other things before the first things close is like you add these other decisions and complexity to to the purchase. And then they're like, yeah. you know what, there's actually too much to think about this here. Yeah, fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to bail on the whole thing. Is there like a is that like the right time? It's like. Yeah. Money in pocket and like then then let the other ones drop or yeah, yeah. Like ideally after the initial wire transfer is has, <laughs> has fired, right? Yeah. 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 Right. Like once yeah. once your once Stripe sees the cash, then I think you're good to uh you're good to start telling them about what else you do. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, because we yeah, like we've experimented with that a little bit. And I guess it it depends. I mean, when you mm -hmm. think about it more in a yeah. SaaS context, like yeah company and like if you're if your expansion opportunity means mm -hmm. bringing in a whole another like champion from another side of the business and upending yeah. some other existing process yeah you hold off on but if it's like i mean it's probably different for everyone if it's easy enough to like also get into this and also get into that and you're not saying it create a bunch of deals like yeah couldn't agree more like no one has more energy ex and excitement for it than right at the beginning. You're riding on the high of hope. Like this is going to be the, this is going right. to be the thing that like takes us to yeah. the next level. So like yeah. ride that yeah. for what's worth. The um, I love I love the uh, the example you gave and just taking inspiration from from non um, non software stuff. Like this was uh, I don't know if you guys have read the the Steve Jobs book. I know they're, they're like ten at this point, but um, I think like the original biography that he did. Uh, or that was done on him, but he was obsessed with that whole experience, um, mm -hmm. right? Like, and he was, of course, obsessed with a lot of stuff, which is what made him so great. But the the, the unboxing experience of a Mac, like he yeah. was like from the exact millimeter of the, I don't know the last time you guys opened a new MacBook Pro, but like when you pull mm -hmm. that box open, like there's there there's some tension but there's, there's just enough that it almost like it's just, it just it slides <laughs> off, but not yeah. too quickly. And yeah. you're like yep. excited about it and it's just smooth and you open it and everything's just like, that's perfectly so funny. Out. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's perfect white. Yeah. And then you, yeah, you right. pull each thing out and it's just like, it's almost like it's shine. I mean, it's just that whole experience and you're just like in awe of the whole thing. But he, mm. he obsessed over that. He was like this. It's so important to your point that like, the moment people are most excited and they're getting out their laptop that we just, or their iPod or whatever's for the first time, we just like, we imprint that moment in yeah. their head, which it is like, I know every time yeah. I open a new iPhone, I get a new iPhone every year and a new laptop yeah. every years. I look forward to like mm -hmm. pulling it off. And then you like, it's almost like a, you, you, you pull the laptop up and then it's like other stuff's like tucked underneath yeah. the laptop. What accessories did it come with? And, um, yeah. but there's something to be said for that, especially with physical stuff. It made me think of um, we're we, we're uh, we're members of a <clears throat> of a wine club um, that's up in Hopland, and it's on a working farm, and they do such a nice job uh, when they ship the wine. You get the box of wine every quarter. We get three three bottles, and it comes in a box. 
but they do all these little nice things that always make me look forward to opening it. And like, and I actually engage with the stuff because I look forward to it. And mm -hmm. when you open it, they always, first of all, they always have a letter that they do. It's like a very thoughtful letter. It's usually signed by them. And it's like, here's the wine. Mm -hmm. Here's exactly where it was grown. Here's why it tastes the way it does. It's kind of like, it gives you the whole history, which makes it like, I, I'm, I'm immediately connected to it. I'm like, Oh, cool. I can, I've been to the right. been multiple times. So I know the vineyard they're talking about. And she's like, mm -hmm. Oh, this we had a fire. So it's going to taste a little smokier, whatever it is. And then they also tuck in stuff usually from the farm and they're like, Oh, we threw in a little thing of fresh honey for you. And yeah. these are some fresh flowers. And, and it's like of all the things that I, the 50,000 things that I'm doing on a daily basis, like every quarter when that box comes, I'm like, I look forward to opening it. And then like, I engage with it. Right? Like I go, I read the letter. I'm like, it's usually, they, they usually put a, a picture of their family because they live on the farm and they like work mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's, it was anyway, what you were saying, maybe yeah. like, it's like, I, I look forward to it. I engage with it. I spend way more time on the freaking stupid box of three bottles of wine and where it came from than I do like with probably 20 things I should in a daily, on a daily basis. But I'm just connected to it. I'm going to do some product marketing jujitsu little masterclass here and tie this back to the Launch Notes platform. Um, so I'm it is a great opportunity around, we talk about, you know, sort of shipping marketing grade experiences beyond the moment of purchase. So we do this with our announcements product and we are always preaching the, the virtues of your change comms should be marketing grade. The updates that you're giving customers, even if they're not a new customer, even if they're not going to buy or upsell or anything, you know, within the next year or day or whatever, you should be shipping great experiences to them with attention to detail, even around something like, you know, your change comms, your, your product updates, your change announcements, your, your roadmap updates, your feedback experience. It's that whole ethos of like, don't drop the ball on that experience and all those touches and care and attention to detail and just having like a premium experience once someone buys and kind of continue it throughout, you know, the unboxing, the onboarding, the, you know, the renewals, the upsells, the, you know, what's the experience like to be a customer two years from now. I always use like the, you know, kind of the analogy of like, what traditionally what physical products would do with um with like the instruction manual inside the box mm -hmm. so you they'd sell you the product they'd have these beautiful advertisements with beautiful photos about the product and great copy and this paint this glorious picture of like what you'll be able to do with the product and you go to the store and you look at the box and the box is gorgeous and it's got this great gorgeous color photography and design and illustration and color and copy and it's all this like kind of curated wow moment around i'm going to get this product and it's going to be awesome and then you crack open the plastic and you pull the top off and you open your instruction manual and what do you get like the least user friendly experience possible <laughs> you get like four four point font you know a billion words yeah, yeah <laughs> written by a lawyer like a trillion <laughs> words, a terrible experience. And it's in like uh, 17 languages and like English is the 14th. Yeah, you know, like you've got to like, like, nope, like hold it. Yep, you got to hold it upside down in, yeah. in, in front of a candle to like, right. yeah, it's it's bizarre. So I just think there's 
there's a lot of thinking around. I think the problem is like use the Steve Jobs example. Like you had a person like doing that level of thinking who was overseeing the full scope of the customer experience. Like traditionally you get like marketers thinking about this kind of thing, but they're like, you know, sales problem now, customer success problem now, Mm -hmm. customer experience, customer support. Like they bought the product, they submitted their email address, they did the trial, whatever it is. They're not like a marketing, they're not a marketing customer at this point. They're a sales customer or a support customer or a success customer, but sort of treating your full, you know, treating every point of the customer like someone who can get great, you know, marketing, branding, messaging, design. Um, that's what makes people want to recommend your product. That's what makes people want to cross sell, upsell, use your product more, get excited, be evangelists, all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. I like that jujitsu. See, launch notes, I- launch notes ties it all together. I also think, and I could, I could also bring a launch notes theme into this. Um, Let's see. From the just, just to conceptually, we talk about having a dialogue with your customers at all times and prospective customers. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important that people feel connected to you as a or your business as a human, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's someone or something behind it. There's a, there's a face behind it. There's a person yeah. behind it. There's a human there at the other mm-hmm. end. Whether that's giving you comfort that a human's going to be responding and, and helpful when you when you yep. reach out and need support or whether yep. that's in the case of the wine I gave, like I'm connected to the family and their story. And so I just care 10 times more about what I've just received and, and what we're going to enjoy. Cause I'm like connected to them as humans. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I did sign up for a service recently and I noticed that which is an idea I thought we could maybe steal. Like the first email I got was from the founder and it was a loom. And oh, cool. it wasn't, it wasn't personalized to me, but it was just him kind of saying welcome and just giving a 30 second overview of like the story of the company. And, and I immediately thought, Oh, this is great. Like I'm, I'm that much more invested in the trial because I feel like I'm now connected to him. Um, mm-hmm. And, but just this idea of like, at the end of the day, even though there's a lot of AI and robotics and, you know, cloud service yeah. floating around, it's still your buyer at the end of the day is still a human sitting in a computer. And the people creating mm-hmm. your your service as a human, and so the yeah. connection you can build between those two things is really, really powerful. Um, really, really, really powerful. And I think it mm-hmm. connects. It it make it helps you stand out, you know, from mm-hmm. from the crowd. In the same way that even now, when yeah. I when I still open when I still open Apple stuff, I think about Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive and all those stupid videos I've watched over the years about how they obsessed over every la- little last detail. But like, mm-hmm. there's a human connection there. I'm like, oh yeah. This, this is what, you know, Johnny, I yeah. once on this one little tiny screw on the Apple watch and I know the story of it. And so every time I put on the Apple watch, I think about that. And it's like, it just makes me feel connected to the brand because I'm connected to the people and faces. Yeah. Behind, so, and I, that's, yeah, that's all so true. And I think a big part of keeping that treating someone like a human, we are almost like primarily primitively wired to pick up these signals of when we're being betrayed or when someone can't be trusted or when someone's not who they seem to be or when something is just askew in our environment. That is like an innate, very human thing where like if the scene changes, if stuff goes south of this watering hole, if that guy's not part of our tribe, turns out, 
we've got trouble. And I think that's like a very human moment in people that is just baked into us. And the easiest way to sort of betray that as a company is to let people <clears throat> to let people feel when you have these uh, when they've shifted from being a prospect to a opportunity, from an opportunity to a customer, from a customer to a legacy customer or whatever. It should feel like one experience. Like going into the showroom to shop for the car, you get a big smile and a handshake and great to see you. But then six years later, when your car's hanging on for dear life and you need some service, they're, you know, getting, you know, it's a totally different experience that you get. And right. so I, I think it's like one of the best ways to sort of treat your customer like a human is to just like, be sure there's consistency there. Like they shouldn't feel the seams as they go through the journey of, exploring to being a prospect to getting a demo to doing a trial to you know to their first year second year 10th year whatever like make it feel like one consistent experience because if it's got that herky-jerky like they're not treating me like they used to then it's it's just like a recipe for a weird a weird relationship that's going to go south it's actually funny you said it blake i've never thought about it in those terms but but the idea of like hiding uh, hiding or being embraced is mm -hmm. like fr from the, from the just guttural human instinct level is exactly how I feel when you call a customer support line somewhere and they put you through 18 different uh -huh. steps to get to a human. And even when you hit zero, you can't talk to someone. Yeah. That's actually, it's like, I always get right. angry. And I, and I just, it, it just yeah. occurred to me when you, when you were talking about that. It's like, it's actually, yeah. I, I feel like you're hiding from me. I'm like, right. Why are you hiding from me? Like, there should yeah. be no reason. I talk to me. <laughs> like, right. why are you running away? Why are you running the other direction? Why are you, and it's, and yeah, trying to get me on an exit so that I can just get, get jutted out before I can actually talk to a human. Like, all I want to do is talk to a human and you're and hiding the, from me, which makes me suspicious. I'm like, something's not right here it's the juxtaposition with uh, probably the sales experience you had with that same company when they were trying to get into your wallet. It's like, right. Hey, yeah, you know, like they, were, they were answering the phone. They were available. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. No one puts an 18 step phone tree in front of, you know, a new customer, someone, contacting sales. Someone's, yeah, right. contacting sales. Well, some, some probably do, but that's a topic for another, that's a topic for another office hours. Hey, Blake here again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you work on a product team, whether you're in product management, product marketing, product ops, or any other supporting function, go check out the Launch Awesome community. Hundreds of the top product minds from companies like Google, Atlassian, Twilio, and more are in the community sharing their expertise every day. This free Slack community is a great place to connect with and learn from real product leaders, actual practitioners who are in the trenches building and launching products at some of the most exciting startups and SaaS companies around. To join, head to the link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it'll come right up. Finally, if you're a fan of this show, don't forget to subscribe so you'll be first to know about new episodes. And of course, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review. Reviews not only help other people find the show, but also just lets us know which content you find most valuable so we can create even more of it. Thanks again for being here.